the book of Job, and I want to. Uh, we're going to look at Job reviewing what he knows about God. This is a primer on um, the awesomeness of God. Sometimes you just need to be reminded of what God is like, and and really, it's not a bad thing. I think uh, if if I were to give uh, sort of my impression. Job's three friends, which are not the best of friends at all, have pushed him into a corner, and in that corner, instead of him getting bitter, he kind of is, but instead of him really letting it defeat him, he starts going over in his mind, and he begins to speak. It does sound a little loud to me. Uh, it, it, he does go over just the greatness of God. And that'll help you. That'll help you sometimes when you're really feeling down, because all you're doing is you're focusing on yourself, and you start to remind yourself, yeah, but God is good, okay? So in all the things going on in Job's life, he looks and he says, yeah, but let me tell you what, what I know about God. And, and that's where you begin. None of us know everything we need to know about God. None of us can connect all the dots and things. But there are some things that we ought to know, and this is a reminder of it. So we're going to be in Job chapter 12, and we're going right into our lesson. The first, there are three things here that Job does. He feels like he has to answer back. And you'll see in chapter 12, verse 1, it says, And Job answered and said. So his, his friends have made a personal attack against him. What have they said about Job as for why he's having the troubles in his life? Anybody want to remind me? Christopher? Yeah. Now, is there, is there scripture that says that you will reap what you sow. Yeah, okay. But they are actually applying it across the board as if only bad, bad things only happen to bad people. And that's not all the scripture says. So he feels like he's got to answer because it's very painful. You know, it's one thing when you're going through a valley and you're just sinking and somebody encourages you. So another when you're going through the valley and they're just hitting you on the way down. And that's how he feels his friends are treating him. So uh, he, he responds. And these aren't, these aren't words of uh, comfort or, or uh, comforted from a comforted heart. These are words from a hurting heart. He then rejects their view of himself. Look in verse 2, 12-2. I like how he talks. It's really, really, there's some humor in here. He says, no doubt, but ye are the people and wisdom shall die with you. Can you hear him saying, you, you, you guys are the epitome of intelligence. You know it all. Verse 3, but I have understanding as well as you. I am not inferior to you. Yea, who kneweth not such things as these? Uh, you, all these that you've already told me in the past chapters that they've accused him of. Verse 4, I am as, I am as one that is mocked of his neighbor, who calleth upon God, and he answereth him. The just upright man is laughed to scorn. So he's actually saying, I'm the just, I'm the upright here, and yet you're laughing me to scorn. I'm calling on God, and you're answering for him? Doesn't like that. They seem forgotten that Job knows what they know about God. And they actually are looking at him saying, Job, this is because of a problem in your life. This trouble is happening in your life because you've got some secret sin. Now, somebody tell me, what is, it, what is another reason why trouble comes into the life of a Christian, especially? 
Why does suffering, trouble happen in the life of somebody who's trying to do right? Nita? Okay, so we're live, we live in a sin-cursed world. I was telling somebody um, that um, we're not in paradise anymore. We're not in Eden anymore. So every time you try to do something, it's not guaranteed to work out just because there's a curse on this earth. There are thorns that are going to grow, going to grow with every, and there's going to be weeds that are going to grow with everything we plant. Uh, what else? Somebody else had their hand up. Uh, Paul. Okay, chastening. But chastening is where I've done wrong and God brings trouble in my life and he chastens me. That's, that's one thing. But we're trying to say, what are some other reasons why trouble comes in my life? Hold on, Marcus, I'll come to you next. The devil, the devil loves, the Bible says, all they that live godly shall suffer what? Persecution. So the devil will come after you. So now, Job's friends never give any of those other things a possibility. They just say, Job's got, a, got some secret sin. Job deserves this. Karma is coming back on his head. And so he rejects that view of himself. He says, I, I am not. I have no secret sin that I know of. There's nothing in my heart that has done wrong. Third, he actually says what is commonly believed is usually not correct. Look at verse 5. He that is ready to slip with his feet is as a lamp despised in the thought of him that is at ease. So a lamp is for what? What do you use a lamp for? A light, okay? So somebody who's at ease, getting ready to go to sleep, what do you do with the lamp? Do you need the lamp at that point? No, when you're at ease, you're ready to close your eyes, you ignore the lamp, you blow out the lamp. And he says, you know what, I'm about ready to slip, but I'm being ignored like you ignore the lamp when you're trying to go to sleep. Verse 6, the tabernacles of robbers prosper, and they that provoke God are safe and secure, into whose hand God bringeth abundantly. What did he just describe? What do we normally hope to happen to robbers? Get caught get judged, made to pay back to society what they've done wrong. Um, they that provoke God, mock God, spit at God, what do we expect is going to happen to them? A lightning bolt, something to show them they're doing wrong. And yet, it says the, the, the houses, the tabernacles of robbers prosper. They seem to get away with it. They that provoke God, nothing happens to them. They are safe and secure and God brings abundantly into their hand. So, Job admits that robbers seem to succeed and prosper. You know, there are a lot of our bankers here in Ireland, and after 2007, 2008, they never went to jail. Nothing ever happened to them. They seem to have gotten away with lying to the Irish newspapers, lying to the Irish government that, oh, we, have, we are secure, our finances are solid, and they lied, and not one of them went to jail. Conventional wisdom believes that bad people get caught and are made to pay for their crimes, and good people are honored and rewarded. But Job says, thieves are getting away with things. Mockers of God seem to be blessed, and yet the righteous suffer. Is that not the hardest issue to deal with when you've been going along and you're doing trying to do right, and then you get cancer. You find out that you've been let go from work. When you've 
been at church, when you've been reading your Bible faithfully, when you cared about the souls of men and women and giving out tracts, and then you're fired. And you say, the other people who are still on the job, they're wicked, and yet I'm the one that's suffering. That's how Job feels. So now we're going to get to, he's going to review what he knows about God, and this is kind of cool. Look at verse 7, because he doesn't start with theology, he starts with nature. Verse 7, he says, But ask now the beasts, the animals, and they shall teach thee, speaking to his three friends, the fowls of the air, and they shall tell thee. Just speak to the earth, and it shall teach thee, and the fishes of the sea shall declare unto thee. Who knoweth not in all these, in all of nature, that the hand of the Lord hath wrought this, hath done this, in whose hand is the soul of every living thing in the breath of all mankind. <clears throat> so he says, you know what? I know something about God. One, nature reveals God. He says, just go and, and why don't you learn from, from the birds, learn from the animals that there is a God and that God is awesome. Nature teaches us that there's a creator. Design demands a designer. Uh, life requires such great complexity and miracles. Nature just doesn't, dirt doesn't produce life. Uh, oh, this is terrible. That didn't come up right. I don't know, I forgot to change all that. Um, uh, the things, there is design in nature. Now that's DNA. I've got some other things, the pictures there are supposed to be one, two, three. But how many have ever, have ever seen a snowflake? It is absolutely breathtaking. The design, we're not talking about just like, you know, the stars, or if you see a snowflake, somebody cuts out a snowflake, you know, it's got six pointed uh, uh, sides there. But the layer upon layer upon layer, this is super amazing that the laws of physics allow for something so, so um, intricately designed to just happen. Uh, DNA, if you were to stretch out one DNA, if you were to stretch out the, the chromosomes, your, your 23 chromosomes in a human body, and you were to stretch them all out end to end, connect all the DNA and unwind them, they're all wound up, coiled up. If you unwind them, they'd be one meter long. In every one of your cells is a meter long set of instructions on how to make you. That is, in, when an evolutionist says there's no proof for God, ask them, try to un unwind a DNA, decipher it, and they have, and realize in that one strand of DNA, in every cell of your body, the cells in your skin, the cells in your brain, the cells in your toes, the cells in your bones, every one of your cells have all the instructions of how to make another you. And yet, certain cells only produce skin. Other cells only produce uh, uh, light receptors in your eye. Other cells produce muscles. It is intricately designed. That's why, listen, don't be afraid of science. Science looks at the world and should, when they, when they look at design, they should sit in awe of the designer of God. You can know about God in creation. It is known inside people. What you can know about God is, is already in us. Romans chapter 1, hold your place here and go to Romans chapter 1 and verse 19.
19 to 22. Because that which may be known of God is manifest. What would be another word for manifest? Revealed. What were we going to say? Evident. It's made evident. Where? Um, I'm looking for my verse. Verse 19, sorry. That which may be known of God is manifest in them, in people. For God hath already showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the very creation of the world, just by the fact that this world is created, are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. You can even understand his eternal power in Godhead so that they, people, are without excuse. Because when they knew God, they can see his handiwork. They glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations. What does vanity mean? What does vain mean? A high, what? Okay, so they only think of themselves. Conceited. So, um, it says, they become vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened, professing themselves to be wise. They still became fools. So where is the reality of God revealed in people? Hmm? In them, but in their conscience. Go to Job 32. Job chapter 32. Job 32 and verse 8. You know, everywhere all over this world, everybody, everybody worships something. And they may, they may carve out an idol, but there's something inside of them that says, I need to worship. There's something inside of them that says, there is something or someone's that I, I've got I've to make happy. I've got to appease. I've got to serve. In Psalm 38, as I said, Job chapter 32 in verse 8. Psalm 30, I keep saying Psalm. Job 32, 8. But there's a spirit in man. And the inspiration of the Almighty giveth them understanding. What is inspiration? Inspiration. Okay. So you ever hear somebody and they go, I was inspired to paint. Something just, just came over me. I was inspired to, to, to do this or to, to write that. All right. It says God inspires people to give them understanding. What does God want us to understand? Him. Just like he inspired the Bible, he inspired an awareness of God in everybody. You have to have it educated out. You have to tell people over and over and over, there is no God, there is no God, for them finally to deny what their own heart tells them. John 1.9 says this, that Jesus is the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh in the world. So Jesus put something in every single person, whoever's born, to know that there's a God. Go to Acts chapter 14, Acts 14 and verse 14. Acts 14, 14 down to verse 17 says this, which when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of, they rent their clothes, and they ran in among the people, crying out and saying, Sirs, why do ye these things? Because they were, Paul and Barnabas were about to be worshipped. They said, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like passions with you. We're just like you. 
And we preach unto you that ye should turn from these vanities unto the living God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein, who in times past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. Let you just do whatever you want. Nevertheless, he, he left not himself without witness. He always made sure you knew that there was a God in that he did good to you and gave us rain from heaven, fruitful seasons, filling our, filling our hearts with food and gladness. So God always is trying to, to tell us he's there, speaking to our conscience. So Job says, guys, I know about the law of sowing and reaping in nature. It's written in my own heart that God is good and that God rewards good and God punishes evil. I know all that. All of these things can be observed and figured out and tested and proven to be true. Look in there in chapter 12, verse 11. Job, back in Job 12, verse 11. Doth not the ear try words? What do you think that means? Good. So every time I hear somebody speaking, I try, means I, tr I try to understand, I test, and I figure out what they're saying. So does the ear just let it go in and go out? No. It actually pays attention. And does that the ear try words and the mouth taste his meat? I mean, they, uh, they figured out about 50 years ago that your digestive system is incredibly complex. So you get ready to eat, and you see, I'm just going to use, it's not a healthy thing, but you see a hamburger. And it's just been made, and it's dripping with grease, and it's got cheese that's melted. Your eyes convey information that begins your stomach to start preparing for all of those enzymes, all of those proteins, all of that stuff. Then, when it comes to your nose, and your nose begins to smell things, it starts telling the stomach, prepare this enzyme, prepare to digest that. Then when you taste, a zillion things start happening all throughout your digestion, even before it ever gets to your stomach. That's just breathtaking. The Bible says your ear tests what it's hearing. Um, where am I? Where I'm losing my place. 11, yes. In uh, the mouth, tastes his meat, you go, mm, that's good, or oh, that's terrible. Well, with the ancient is wisdom, and in the length of days is understanding. So he's saying everybody, listen, everybody tries to figure these things out. These are basic facts that people wisely have learned. Now, I'm getting going, he's going somewhere with this. It's called science. And it used to be that you'd sit down in school and you'd have a teacher who was well-seasoned, who would draw on hundreds of years of experiments and of tested theories, and they would teach what is true. Now, it's all political. It's all, well, there are no genders, or there are 100 genders, or they'll say that, you know, it, it, you know math is, is subjective. And it just, it, it, wisdom is thrown out the door, truth is thrown out the door, Whereas um, Job is saying, guys, we know all this stuff. It's called science that there's a God. 
And with, with God is all wisdom. Verse 13, he says, With him, with God, is wisdom and strength. He hath counsel and he has understanding. When, when he comes to this point, he's saying, Look, God has all that wisdom. And it shows that God is sovereign or in control of everything. Because he's now going to say something. Basically, as he describes this, he's going to conclude, I know all these things about God. But it doesn't answer my problem. The fact that there is a God, the fact that, that God is a creator, the fact that God created a huge universe, the, the fact that God has you know, designed things doesn't help me understand why he allows trouble in my life. Why he allows bad things to happen to me. So he tries to go over the works of God and tries to find in them something that will help him understand the heart of God. And let me just tell you, um, if I pick up something that was made by man, all right, so somebody designed this thing, I don't know who this is, but somebody designed this, I figure somebody designed it Let's see, yeah, I don't even know how it works. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> whoever designed it design, didn't design it for, for, uh, for me, but uh, <laughs> I can't get it open. But anyway, somebody designed that. They probably spent hours on a computer, hours on the, uh, you know, designing it to go through a machine, make 10,000 of them, sell them for $9.99, I don't know, whatever. But I don't know the heart of the person who made it. I don't know what they were thinking when they made it. And that's how Job says, Job says, I see your creation, I see how awesome you are, but I don't know why you do what you do and why you allow what you do. And so now he's going to say, all right, these are the things I understand about God. And he's going to hit a wall. And it's just the same wall throughout this entire book where he says, God, I just want you to... To, to, to tell me why. And we'll come to that later on in another chapter. So listen to the works of God there in verse 14, because they're pretty cool. Well, they're pretty tough, too. Behold, he breaketh down, this is God, and it cannot be built again. He shutteth up a man, and there can be no opening. Behold, he withholdeth the waters, and they dry up. Talking about a drought. And he sendeth them out, water, and they overturn the earth. They flood and destroy the earth. With him is strength and wisdom. The deceived and the deceiver are his. He leadeth counselors away spoiled and maketh the judges fools. He looseth the bond of kings and girdeth their loins with a girdle. He leadeth princes away spoiled and overthroweth the mighty. He removeth away the speech of the trusty and taketh away the understanding of the aged. He poureth contempt upon princes, and weakeneth the strength of the mighty. He discovereth deep things out of darkness, and bringeth out to light the shadow of death. He increases the nations and destroys them. He enlarges the nations and straighteneth them again. Straighteneth means shrinks them. He taketh away the heart of the chief of the people of the earth and causes them to wander in the wilderness where there is no way. They grope in the darkness without light, and he maketh them to stagger like a drunken man. Five things, I think, kind of important, five or six things. First of all, he says God has great power. God has great power to break things, that, and, and then they can't be fixed. 
uh, I think of a massive earthquake. When God wants to destroy something, he can destroy it, and it's just not able to be broken again. But an earthquake is nothing like what, what happens out in the universe. There are things called novas. You ever hear of a nova? A nova is when a star explodes. Can you imagine if our sun exploded? I mean, sorry, bye-bye, we'd be dead. But that's just, I mean, a star is already this bomb going off, creating such heat that it heats up all the planets in our solar system. But that's a controlled explosion. If it exploded, exploded, it would destroy everything in this, in this uh, solar system. But there's something bigger than a nova. What's it called? A supernova. And if a supernova went off, even if it was a thousand light years away from the Earth, it would kill everything on the Earth. It is that destructive. And that's built into this universe. And God can break things and you can't build them again. He says, Job says, God can shut up a man and there's no freeing him, no uh, opening him up. And that's true. Um, honestly, uh, there's, a, there's a false idea that when somebody dies, you can pray him out of purgatory. No, you can't. Because you're either in heaven or in hell. And when God decides, when God judges and condemns, when somebody has not been born again, there's no out, folks. There is no way to be free. He has power over weather. It says he withholds the waters and everything dries up. And then he sends the waters and it overturns the earth. Um, there, are, there are places that are called monsoons. And when it rains, uh, I was watching years ago, uh, the Philippines, they have a, like 20 monsoons a year go through the center islands of the Philippines. Is that right? Am I exaggerating? Uh, is it like 20 a year? Like we have hurricanes in America, but in the Philippines they just have monsoon after monsoon. Is that true or is it just a few times a year? Is it more than 20 or? It's just phenomenal that they have to put up with all of this rain. And what happens is, it's like in Haiti. Everybody lives in these wooden structures and the rain comes and washes it all away. And then they come back and they rebuild again. And then when the next car storm comes, it washes it all away. God does that. And then God knows what he's doing. You know, this is terrifying. Um, go to Jeremiah 32. You're in Job. To the right, go to Jeremiah 32 in verse 17. <clears throat> Jeremiah 32 in verse 17. And Jeremiah 32 has got a lot of good verses in it. Let's see. I'll ask Gavin, would you read that? 32, verse 17. So there's nothing too hard for God to do, correct? Now that is, both, that is both terrifying and comforting. Because if he can do anything, that means he can do anything. And he is in charge. That's why we use the word sovereign. He's the one we have to worry about. 
He's the one we have to talk to and make sure things are right with because there is nothing too hard for them. But that also is comforting because he promises to make all things work together for good because he can do all things. Amen. So he has great power. Secondly, he manages all of human life. Back there in uh, chapter 12 and starting in verse 16, the last half he says this, the deceived and the deceiver are his. How many have ever been deceived into buying something you uh, didn't want? Um, it happens all the time. Yeah. And, and there are, so, so Job might be kind of chuckling. I don't know if this is humor. I don't know. But he says, God is over both the deceived, those who get tricked, and he's managing the life of him who's taking advantage and, and robbing someone else. It's a very powerful statement because we think that, that when, when somebody is a deceiver, when we think they're a politician, when we know somebody is taking advantage of people, we say, where is God? God's in charge, don't worry. Both of them belong to God. He's managing everyone's life. That doesn't mean that he micromanages and he controls them, but he does. He does rule over and he will catch the person who's doing wrong, no problem. But he manages all of human life. Keep going there, verse 17. He leadeth counselors away spoiled. How, how did a king lead on his, lean on his counselor or counselors? How would they lean on them? What would they use a counselor for? Advice. So they say, what do you think we should do? And here, Job says, um, I keep losing my, he leadeth counselors away spoiled. Spoiled means ruined. So if you've ever, if ever you've been asked by your employer for advice and you give your employer wrong advice, I guarantee you're going to be fired. <laughs> and God is the one that takes smart people and gets them fired. He keeps going on and maketh the judges into what? Into fools. And I tell you what, if you, you and I, you go into the courtroom and you call that judge a fool, you can't get away with it. But God will make judges who are at the top, who make decisions over the lives of people. And God makes them fools. Verse 8, he looseth the bond of kings. And a king is a very powerful, I mean, who's above a king except God? And when a king has condemned a nation, God can free them. There, there is a power above kings. And yet he girdeth their loins with a girdle. It means he... he, he he prospers them. He gives them clothes. So the God who limits kings also is the one that clothes them. Girdle is your undergarment. Verse 19, he leadeth princes away spoiled. Again, there's that word. This is somebody who's been defeated. Princes in a battle. If you have an army, the first line on the, on the army are the ones who are definitely going to die. So they're, the, they're the, the guys that they throw into the fight just to start it off, but they're not important. Towards, towards the middle are the archers. To the sides are the cavalry, the horse riders. But guess who's in the back? The princess. The guys who are making all the decisions, uh, life and death decisions, do this, send this, fight this way, but they never have their own life at risk. 
And yet God is able to take and defeat princes, capture them, spoil them, and overthroweth even the mighty, like Goliath. So what is Job doing? He's just going through normal, natural truths. He manages all of human life. Did I do 19 yet? Yes. Then he overrules all of man's wisdom, verse 20. He, God, removeth away the speech of the trusty. Now, the trusty is someone that's trustworthy, someone you look to and you listen to. I mean, years ago, you go to the doctor and the doctor told you to do this, you did it. Now you say, I get a second opinion. <laughs> uh, we used to trust people giving us the news on the television, on the radio. The trusty almost don't exist anymore. People used to trust somebody who claimed to be a born-again Christian. Now you got to find out, well, what's their peculiarity these days? And trusty people are those that we trust to be right, and God shuts them up. Uh, he removeth away the speech of the trusty. He takes them out of the way, and he taketh away the understanding even of the age, aged. So people who you just look up to and respect, God says, God shuts them up. And then there's those princes again. It says, verse 21, he poureth contempt upon princes. He weakeneth the strength of the mighty. So one day someone is popular and influential, and then the next day they're replaced and forgotten. Taketh away the understanding, I'm sorry, and weakeneth the strength of the mighty. But the best part here, he sees things we cannot see. Verse 22, he discovereth the deep things out of darkness. Now, I don't know if you discover anything except pain in the dark. You try to walk into a dark room and you don't have shoes on, you're going to discover a lot of things in that room. But it must have been amazing for the first guy who invented the infrared camera to be able to put those, that camera on and in pitch black be able to see. They call it night vision goggles now they can see different they can they can they can see in the dark they can discover things and God was doing it all along God sees what we cannot see again Job I don't know all that Job is struggling with but he's trying to say God this is you but he's going to turn it around in chapter 13 saying but this is me can you you, you do all of these things can you not do something for me Last thing, God governs entire nations, which is kind of big. He says, verse uh, uh, 23, he increases the nations and he destroys them. <laughs> he enlarges the nations and shrinks them again, straightens them again. He taketh away the heart of the chief, the leaders of the people of the earth. They lose heart and he causes them to wander in a wilderness where there is no way. They're ruined, they're defeated, they're out of a job. They grope in the darkness now without light, and he maketh them to stagger like a drunken man. Now go to Daniel 4.17, and we're finished. You're in Job. Go to the right. Find Daniel chapter 4. And we're going to try to review some of the things that we can learn from what Job is trying to say here in this chapter. Daniel chapter 4 and verse 17. Where's Bill, if you would read that? 417. 
hold. So who's the most high? All right. And that he rules where? In the kingdom of men. In this world. Keep going. Excellent. Keep going. So God is in charge of history, of nations, of empires. That doesn't mean that he creates the empire to like, like Nazi Germany or Imperial Japan to go and to see millions of people, but he ultimately is in charge and he will make them answer and he will bring things right, but he often in history will bring up the basest of men and put them in charge. And one of the basic ways you can always come back to, did Hitler, let's just use a bad extreme, did Hitler come along and take over Germany? He got voted in. And then when he asked them, he said, vote me in for life. And they voted him in for life, chancellor for life. And when he said, the Jews are the problem, they all said, yeah, the Jews are the problem. And when he said, we've got to annex Poland, they said, let's do it. And when he said, we've got to annex Hungary, they said, let's do it. And when he said, let's take on Russia, they went, <laughs> and they started to hiccup. But they got the leader they wanted, didn't they? Wow. King Saul. Who was King Saul's? Who, who wanted a king to be their, King Saul to be their king? Did God say, I got a, I got a surprise for you, uh, Israel. I've got a king over here named Saul. Is that how Saul was introduced to Israel? Israel demanded, give us a king, give us a king, give us a king. And the Lord said, I'm going to give you a king just like you. And he gave him, he raised up the basis of men, King Saul. What do we learn from all this? All right. We learn that history is actually his story throughout time. God has always been involved. And this is one thing I think Job's getting at. I'm not perfectly sure. But he's trying to grapple, God, you, you seem to be in control of my life. I just wish I knew where I was going. <laughs> I wish I knew where I was going. I wish I knew why my kids died. I wish I knew why my wife doesn't want me and love me and encourage me anymore. I wish I knew why I am totally empty and devoid of hope sitting here on this ash heap. You seem to be so wise. I just wish you'd help me. So next week, Job declares that God is who he wants to get answers from. He's tired of asking the, the, uh, the friends, and he says, I just want God to answer. In chapter 13, he says this, even though God is way beyond my understanding, he says this, I will still hope in him, which is a great way to get when you figured all about God, you know what you're going to have to decide? Faith. I'll trust Him anyway. Because you'll never figure Him out. You'll never understand everything about what God is doing. You're going to have to step back and go, I'll just trust Him. I'll just trust Him. So what we should do, what do we do? Job knows that God does all the above. He did all of that great power, great abilities. But knowing all of that is never going to be enough. Scientists still commit suicide. Scientists still don't have all the answers. Scientists sometimes come up with the craziest of solutions to world problems, like a nuclear bomb. <laughs> Knowing all of the facts about creation, or even about God, doesn't settle the problem of the heart. It doesn't reveal to us the heart and the mind of God. 
So when, when Job is teaching us that we need to learn about the power of God, yes, that's Bible learning, but also the promises of God. Isn't that a good balance? I know that God is powerful, but I trust his promises too. Secondly, you need to learn about the sovereignty of God and be able to just step back and trust that God is doing something and I need to let him do it. When Israel, when Israel was, came out of Egypt, God said, I'm going to take you all the way to the promised land. Did they gladly just do and go with God? No. They fought and argued and complained and kept wanting to go back the entire time. And, and they didn't trust that God knew what he was doing. That's the sovereignty of God. Learn about the sovereignty, the, 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 the fact that God controls not everything. And when I say that, I don't mean that he's not in control, but he doesn't control, micromanage everything in, about you and make you like a puppet. To, no, no, but he's actually working everything together for good. He's going to guide your life to a great conclusion if you'll go to it, if you'll go with it. Yield to it. Spend more time talking with God instead of people. Job is talking with his friends, but are they helping him? Sometimes it's nice to have somebody to talk to. As a matter of fact, it's very important to have counselors and people that you trust and that, that, that will listen to you and help you and encourage you and sometimes rebuke you or whatever. But as much time as you spend with people, spend more time with God. Because there's just something happens when you pour out your heart before God that he comforts your heart. And then lastly, don't forget that God's hand is always at work and he'll take and use Satan's work for his own good purpose. Whatever Satan meant for evil in your life, God will always make it for good if you'll let him. Because that's what God does. God doesn't let the devil win unless you want the devil to win. There's just something wonderful about trusting God. All right. Any questions about that? I mean, this is one of those kind of drier chapters because when, when we see him describing the greatness of God, we're like, yeah, but get to the point. Job, why are you going through this again? I'll tell you why he's going through it. Because he's struggling. He's, he's saying, this is what I understand. And it's never enough. All right, let's stand. Let's, let's uh, sing 257, 257 in your hymnal. <clears throat>